Without a doubt, the American Dairy Goat Association's Linear Appraisal Program is one of the most sought-after performance programs available to today's breeders. On this episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I are joined by Bob Bartholomew, who shares a first-hand glimpse into the Linear Appraisal Program. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. As always, I'm Cameron. And I'm Laura. We are excited to be here tonight, as always, and we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Bob Bartholomew. Would you like to introduce yourself, Bob? Hi, I think uh, probably a lot of you know me. Uh, I've been an ADGA judge for about 35 years and an appraiser for the last 10 or so and have met so many people around the country uh, wearing one of those hats. And you live in beautiful New York. Yes, I do. Upstate New York. And Bob, what did you raise goats under? What was your herd name originally? My herd name was B-Bar, and I still use that with other livestock. I've uh, Throughout my life, I've also bred dairy cattle, beef cattle, sheep, and llamas, and I've used that same prefix in all of those. So, Bob, I know uh, this is not on our sheet here, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you use that for your corgis as well or not? I do, actually. <laughs> you have adorable corgis. Thank you. You may hear them barking at some point throughout this recording. That's okay. We're good with that. You know, Bob, I was I was telling my husband about uh, you being our guest tonight, and I said that I had met you at um, my very first training conference, too. Was that the first year that you also got a license? I remember meeting what it, that would have been 87. Yes. Yes. He was like, that was a long time ago. I said, well, thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, but we're, we're very excited to have you here tonight. Cameron, what's been going on on your farm? Um, I feel like a whole lot of nothing. Um, so we dropped uh, our least buck off, which was exciting because I didn't want to deal with him anymore. Um, and he liked to run away after he did his job. So I'm thankful that he uh, did that, uh, did his job. Um, we're also going through debates right now on the farm on who's going to keep a dry yearling. Cause I feel like you make these breeding plans right now. And then you, all of a sudden your mind starts to shift. Like you shift from the original plant. You're like, Ooh, maybe I want a fancy dry yearling. Well, maybe this one isn't picking up and growing like I think so. So we're having those internal discussions right now. And basically it's coming down to uh, looking at genetics. So we've got one right now. She was a fancy junior kid, actually second place at the national show. Um, but we're like, well, her mom really was a slow mature. So we're like, maybe we should keep her dry. I don't know. Um, so that's kind of our debate right now. And then we've got some ones where like, we know they're not big enough, but I think knowing the lines they'll pick up and grow as, as they get bred. So, um, we're just going through that debate. That's always kind of a fun thing to think about. And then you, you know, you think, well, now how many dry yearlings will I have and which goats fit in this class and which ones could be a junior get and yeah. Yeah. The junior get debate there. Um, always. Interesting. Um, and then the goats got out this week, which happens, I guess. So that was the excitement. Um, like they broke a fence down or somebody forgot to shut a gate because both of those B. things happen at my house. I think it's B, but I cannot confirm it was B. So. Oh. <laughs> mm. 
I know how so, that goes. Yeah, it, it does happen. It happens there. So, um, but that's kind of all the excitement that's happening. What about your farm, Laura? Well, you know, kind of like you, things are slow. Um, we had some family excitement um, and a little bittersweet. Uh, we took off last Friday at about four o'clock in the afternoon, headed to Indianapolis, made it there at about 11 o'clock at night, checked into the hotel, had to be at the opening session for the last day of the national FFA convention um, that morning. And I think she needed to be like checked in and seated by seven o'clock in the morning. Ah, so it was an early morning. Um, watched my youngest child put on her blue jacket for the last time and walk across the stage and get her American degree. And uh, then we, hopped in the car and drove back home. And we were back in Dawn, Missouri by 4.30 in the afternoon. So it was kind of a, a whirlwind trip, but, you know, very, very satisfying to, to see that. And um, if you've not been to a national FFA convention, they're pretty impressive. So that was kind of the big deal this weekend. Um, kind of trying to wrap up breeding season. Um, my embryo transfer doe came back into heat tonight. So oh, no. that was kind of a bummer. That is a bummer. And uh, just try, trying to get stuff ready for conventions, trying to see who's going to be in heat while I'm gone and line up somebody to maybe do some AIs um, if I need that when I'm when I'm not Ooh. here or figure out who to breed him to. So. Ooh, is that the daughters? Are you going to let um, – the- no, it's the brother-in-law, Stanton. Oh, right? Stanton. <laughs> He's done that for me before and uh, has been very successful with that. So um, <laughs> anyway, that's that's about the size of it. I have my suitcase open and clothes packed into it. So, you know, it's always fun when you do laundry and you can just fold the laundry and stick it in the suitcase. So that's what I'm trying to get done this week. So anyway, Bob, what about you? What have you been busy with? I know you've been working outside, you said. Well, it's, uh, I've been dealing with those four words that no farmer ever wants to hear. Your cows are out. And dealing with some <laughs> upset neighbors because I've had cows in their, on their lawn. And um, so I had a 1,500-pound bull and a few others that um, took the one-way ride last week. And I've got a few more leaving tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m. And... Um, I was telling Laura that I'm uh, refurbishing a barn. It's an old dairy barn that uh, had some horse stalls built in that were falling apart. And I'm pulling out all those old stalls and, and reassessing it and putting it back together as a heifer barn for my dairy heifers and um, my beef calves when I wean them. So uh, just to make life a little bit easier when I'm not here for those that do have to do chores. And um, that's been keeping me pretty busy. Plus, I'm getting ready to go judge at Louisville this weekend and then head off right from Louisville to the convention in Tucson. When you go to the, to, uh, the North American International Livestock Exhibition, um, which is where you're judging, you usually show your shorthorns there too, right? Uh, I have Ayrshire dairy cattle and I showed their last Oh, year. Ayrshire, sorry. Yes. And uh, I was at, I actually have a couple entered this year, but because of my schedule judging and the fact that the show is on Sunday morning, exactly when I will be judging showmanship um, and the farm that I house them at is not going, 
Uh, those folks aren't going. I've decided that uh, we're just not going to send anything this year and we'll, we'll just plan for next year. And then you also usually take a bunch of really amazing pictures of the dairy goat exhibitors. So I know they're going to be missing you this year, not, not being their unofficial photographer. Yes. I've been taking the photos at North American, I believe for 10 years now. And, um, about three years ago, I asked Grace Toy, who's also very good at taking goat photos, if she'd be interested in coming down and helping me uh, because it was getting to the point where there were so many people that wanted photos, it was really difficult to get enough of it done with just by myself. So uh, Grace has been traveling with me the last uh, three years, as I say. And with me being asked to judge this year, I've asked Grace if she would step in and do the photography that I would normally be doing. So Grace will be taking photos this year. So the exhibitors will still have someone there to take hopefully good quality photos of their animals. Grace, Grace does a great job as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. I'm glad something, somebody will be there to document that for the dairy goat community. I know um, like a lot of goat exhibitors, going through thumbnails and galleries of goats, even with the watermark on them, it's still fun to see um, how they are. So as a, as a Gary Goat enthusiast, I thank you, Bob, for your years of service there. Um, and I always look forward to those pictures. Thank you very much. I had the privilege of exhibiting at the very first North American that they opened to Dairy Goats. And that was a lot of fun. I always enjoyed going to that show. And even usually, it was usually just a couple of Nubians that I threw in the back of the van and drove down there. But it was a it was a fun show and, and a lot of fun with um, other young adults. And um, we may or may not have had a really great time every year crashing the Jersey Jug dance that they had for <laughs> um, the the young adult Jersey dairy cattle exhibitors, we fit in just fine and had a great time dancing and they never knew, knew any different, but it was a lot of fun. It was a good show. I'll go back someday. Uh, Laura, uh, Adga convention is on the horizon now moving into Adga news. Bob, I know you're going. Laura is obviously going as well. Um, are you guys excited for it? I am. I'm excited. It's been a long time since I've gotten to go to a convention. I'm, um, I'm nervous. I'll just be honest. I'm just, I'm nervous about it because I know that there's a lot of business that has to go on. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess me personally, I just feel a huge responsibility to district five and to the members of ADGA, no matter what district they're in to, to make good decisions and, and ask hard questions. And so, you know, that's, that's a little bit of nervousness on my part, but I'm really excited to see all my goat friends and people that I know I haven't seen for a long time. So that'll be good too. Bob, what are you most looking forward to about convention? I think one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is attending the board meeting and just listening in as to the reports about what's happening with NG, what's happening with the association Looking forward to hopefully a really strong uh, new EC coming in and um, and really moving us forward in the next in the next year. Um, I just think it's been a tough couple of years between COVID and then the NG issues that we've been dealing with this year. Um, I just think it's it's you know there it's exciting times are coming. Things are going to get better and. Um, I think that that is one of the things I'm really looking forward to. 
I'm also teaching part of the advanced judges training on, uh, I guess that's Thursday, which I always enjoy doing. And then I'm teaching the, the uh, introduction part of the linear workshop on Friday morning. And then I've just been elected to the board of directors for the American Goat Federation. And we have a board meeting there at the ADGA meeting on Saturday morning. So Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I've got training, uh, um, instruction, instruction, training, and then uh, a board meeting on Saturday morning. So it'll be a busy week for sure. Well, I'm sure you'll squeeze in some fun there as well, right, Bob? I hope so. (laughs) Bob, could you explain a little bit about the American Goat Federation? Because I think that that would be something that maybe our listeners aren't familiar with. and, And I know that I don't know much about it. So I'd like to hear more about it. Well, I'm, I'm, brand new and uh this i'm i'm just coming onto the board there um as betty henning is um choosing to retire or to step back from the board and american goat federation is um a group that um is a proponent for all varieties of goats meat goats silky goats uh dairy goats uh all the different breed, all the different organizations uh, can have memberships in American Goat Federation. ADGA does have a membership, and uh, the president appoints um, someone to be the ADGA representative. I am not that person, but I'm a second voice for dairy goats on that American Goat Federation board, as Betty was. So uh, it gives us a, a little more representation there with that group. That group is one that works to try to secure funding for things like uh, vaccines. Uh, They're working right now on some vaccines that are approved in other countries that are not approved in the United States. I just had a a discussion with the president uh, on Saturday morning. It was pretty brief. He was was kind of busy and uh, we were both running in different directions, but he just talked to me briefly about some of the things that are happening and and um, maybe I can talk with you guys again another time after this meeting, the board meeting, and give you a little bit more information because for me, it's all still very new. Um, I'm just getting in and getting my feet wet at this point. So it sounds to me like you're saying the American Goat Federation is like a uh, a forum that focuses on the commonalities of all of the goats that we have. And promoting things that will benefit any type of goat, not just focused on on dairy or meat or fiber. That's correct. They also there is also a person from ASI, the American Sheep Industry, that serves on that board as well, and they work together with ASI uh, in in promoting things for small ruminants, sheep and goats alike. So there's a lot of good things that can come from, from this organization. Absolutely. Very cool. Awesome. Very good. That's awesome. Laura, have you been keeping, I guess, as a director or a director elect, excuse me, let me get my wording right there. Director elect. Um, you've been keeping up on the end of year reports. Are they all upline now and uploaded for all the membership to see? I think most of them are. Um, I haven't checked in the past couple of days, but it seems like every day a few more are popping up there. So, um, which is good to see. Yep. And then it looks like they're um, 
And Laura, our next thing here, kind of adding news wise, the postal ballot to extend the committee application beyond ten thirty one. Is that correct? Is that out in the mail right now? Um, I you know I haven't seen that sent at this point. I know that it's being um, discussed, and I'm hoping that a decision will be made. I, I anticipate that it probably will be just simply because of the fact always before. Those that committee request happens after the convention, and this year it would have had to have happened before when we don't know who the committee chairs are or anything like that. So, I, you know, I guess stay so, tuned, but I would yeah. definitely say if you're interested in being on an ADGA committee and you think, oh, snap, I've missed the 1031 deadline, I would still go ahead and, and fill out that form and submit it. I, the worst that they can say is we didn't decide to extend it, but I, I think that there's a good chance that it'll be okay. So if I can, people like me who just, didn't do the committee application. Oh, go ahead. Just to say that I think one of the reasons that October 31st had been the deadline that they have used, because as many years as I can remember back, our annual meeting has always been in October. This is the first time that I can remember right. that our annual meeting will be in November. In the past, I know this I know this to be true because I've done it a number of times. You can submit your committee uh, application list to the new EC at the annual meeting. They've always taken them up until the last day of convention at the annual meeting. But I think October 31st was a date that was used because convention was always in October so that everyone had left convention and they gave people a couple of day grace period to get them in by the end of the month. That makes sense to me. This year with convention being late, I think I, I'm, I would be shocked if they don't take them following the board meeting. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, in this year where everybody, well, I'm not going to say everybody, lots of people have lots of opinions about things that need to be changed in ADGA and what could be done better. There is no better way to give yourself a voice than to volunteer to be on a committee. For sure. Um, you know, I I was always taught if you're, if you're going to uh, complain about something or say that something needs to be changed, be willing to step up and uh, be a voice for that change. So I would encourage anybody who really would like to, to take a more active role in ADGA to consider becoming a committee member. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. I've been on committees, not every single year, but most years since 1987. And um, it really does. The committees are what run ADGA. I mean, they're what makes decisions. And then those decisions go to the board for approval or not approval. But the, most of the, most things that happen in ADGA come through the committee system. And you learn so much about reasons why things are done ways and, and you get to meet a, a really neat group of people. And it's just, it, it's very much worth doing, I think. Yeah, I think all three of us would uh, agree that our time on ADGA committees um, is, is beneficial and it, it definitely helps and it really helps you understand um, kind of not the machine that ADGA is, but really how uh, the sausage gets made for lack of a better terms. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, kind of um, on the coattails of that, Bob, um, we're looking at coming up to your area for the convention in 2022, correct? That is correct. We will be in Syracuse. 
it'll be wonderful. I, I've heard that Syracuse in the fall is just one of the most delightful places to be. Is that true? It, it certainly is. And uh, it can be, it can be a little bit nasty that time of year, but this year was just, just spectacular through October. We had a beautiful fall and um, let's hope we have a year kind of like this again next year when everyone's here. Good. And on that I'll, note, if you, yeah. one of the things that I did notice Cameron, and, and we talked about this a little briefly, um, the long range uh, convention committee that looks at future bids. We know that we're going to be going to um, Oklahoma in 2023. But beyond that, I think that there's a lack of bids. Isn't that what we saw in that report? Yeah, I think, yeah, me and you had talked about it um, via the text mail um, here the other day. And yeah, that was like, I was like, okay, I mean, that makes sense. They even talked about Idaho, which Idaho has kind of been a perennial favorite there. Um, Shout out to that Treasure Valley group that's done some phenomenal conventions out there, was not going to put a bid into it um, for 2024. So there is an open spot. And if you have a group of dairy goat people, I always say go for it. Um, you know, it's a great way to bring people to your state, um, and it's a great way to continue to promote dairy goats as well. I know um, from a, I'll look at it from a national show perspective. Just sometimes been on those committees. It's a hard time getting groups together to do anything. So um, if you were to submit a proposal, as long as it's pretty valid and ironclad, I would say uh, more like than likely than not, um, you would get a strong consideration by the committee. Bob, you're pretty active with the Syracuse group that is putting on the 2022 convention, correct? Uh, I'm a member of the New York State Dairy Goat Breeders Association, which is the group that's putting it on. I'm not really active, not real active with that group. Because the majority of their functions are on the cent are in the center or the western part of the state, and it's a lot of traveling okay. um, t- to get to that stuff. And we haven't they haven't done the Zoom option, unfortunately, like like a lot of other organizations have. Uh, I certainly hope to be more involved with the convention coming here next year. Yes. My reason for asking that, though, is. Um it sounds to me like to get accepted for a bid, really all you need is a group of people who are passionate about putting that together. And then Adga kind of helps you uh, walk through and say, this is what we need from you. This is what you need to consider and so forth. It, it really is something that again, goes through the committee system and the folks that um, are in charge of those committees will give you all the information you need. And they have a checklist that, that, identifies all the things that you'll need to look at in in order to be a host city or a host group. And then you can look at that list and see if you're able to do all or most or some or none of those things, and then help determine whether or not you are able to put in a bid. Um, I always think that one of the fun things about going to the director's meetings at convention is we always get to see the pitches from the cities that are hoping to host the convention two, three and four years down the road. So it's kind of sad. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to read that end of year report, but it's kind of sad to hear that there won't be any pitches for any cities when we're at the board meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday. 
Well, maybe we'll be surprised. It's happened in the past. So yeah, maybe somebody will throw something together for us. Cause you know, it is, it is a huge honor, I think, to have a national convention in your state. And, and uh, certainly people that ha- maybe don't do a lot of traveling, that might be their first time to go and maybe they'll get hooked and want to go every year then after that. So exactly. Um, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Maybe it'll be somewhere warm is what I always say. <laughs> yes. That'd be great. It's going to be warm awesome. this year in Tucson. Well, I know, but someone has to take care of the goats at home, and that's me. Well, my dad's at the board of directors meeting, so. I just I just checked we'll, the forecast. We'll send you back some sunshine. I just checked the forecast for next week in Tucson, and uh, there's a couple of cool days happening, 78. Well, that's a lot warmer than it is here. Right <laughs> yeah. now. I will guarantee you that. I, I've been happily looking at that thinking, oh, I'll get some sunshine. This will be great. This will be wonderful. Well, looking forward to our topic tonight, we're just so tickled to have the opportunity to talk with Bob because, as he mentioned before, one of the many hats he wears in ADGA is as an ADGA appraiser. And um, we'd like to talk about the Linear Appraisal Program tonight and kind of explore where we are and the nuts and bolts of the appraisal program and kind of talk about maybe some next steps. So uh, are we ready to jump into our topic? Sure. Absolutely. So first off, Bob, let's just get a baseline here in your eyes, in opinion or expertise. What is ADGA linear appraisal? Uh, the linear appraisal program is a, an evaluation of uh specific traits, phenotypic, phenotypical traits and our phenotype of dairy goats, where we look at specific parts of animals that we know are at least somewhat heritable. There are a lot of traits that, that are pretty low in their heritability. The ones that have been chosen to be evaluated in our linear program are ones that have been identified to be hopefully at least moderately heritable. And those traits are all things that would have some sort of importance in terms of economics to the herd owner, in terms of increased longevity, increased production, things that would ensure or hopefully help a breeder breed animals that would be more structurally correct, um, stay in the herd longer, and hopefully be able to produce more for a longer period of time. And that's kind of the gist of what the program is designed, is what it what it encompasses. The, the purpose of the whole program is actually as a sire-proving program. So it's not, so the purpose of linear appraisal is not to get that fancy score, though people like to get those, but rather... Um, looking at um, daughters across the board from many herds that um, hopefully you can say, okay, this buck reliably throws daughters that have this advantage over her herd mates or this advantage over the other animals in their breed. Correct then? Absolutely. And that's, that's the important part. And yes, everybody loves to get that final score at the end of the appraisal session, especially if it starts with a, the number starts with a nine. Um, and, and you can, you can get those animals that <laughs> fall into the excellent category. Um, however, you know, one of the things that we, when we're looking at goats, we, 
part of the program is we need to see all of the goats. And we run into this all the time when we when we talk about breeders or if you'll follow some of the discussions on Facebook when people say, well, why do we have to have all of our goats scored? Why can't we just bring the ones that we want scored to a show and have an appraiser come to that show and score them there? The whole purpose is to see what all the daughters of particular of a particular buck look like. And we don't want you to be able to pick and choose because that's going to skew the data. We want to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that way it gives a more complete picture of what that buck is doing. If people could hand pick or cherry pick the ones they wanted to score and never let us see the, for lack of a better term, the ugly ducklings or the ugly stepsisters, that buck might throw one or two beautiful daughters out of 50. And we would only maybe see those one or two. And we all know, let's be honest, we all know that our data is already skewed because so many goat herds and, and breeders that have their animals scored are small hobby farms or, or show herds where when an animal isn't up to their, their owner's standards, she's not there on appraisal day. Those animals have already been, have already left the herd. Unlike a dairy farm where a, a dairy cattle farm where um, the farmer is making his living on milking those cows and it costs somewhere upwards of twelve or $1,500 to raise a replacement to go into the herd. Just because she's ugly, he can't ship her down the road because he's already got $1,500 invested in that animal and she has to pay for some bills before she can leave. So I think they tend to get a, a more complete picture, a more true picture, I should say, than what we get than what we get in the dairy goat world because our herds are so highly scrutinized. Does that all make sense? Very yes. much so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So thinking about those areas, so we appraise the goat there. Do you want to break down, I guess maybe the I guess the let's go the I mean there's will you break down maybe some of the some of the categories in which there are statistical ones and then there are others that are maybe um, more alphabetical, I'll call them, if that makes sense, Bob. Okay. So the linear program is um, broken down into a couple of parts. And um, the first, the, the first part of the linear of the, of the uh, linear appraisal itself is the actual linear part. And in the linear part of, of your appraisal, we look at 14 primary traits and one secondary trait, and we, we score each of those traits from 0 to 50, which are 1 to 50, I guess, which are the two extremes. So if we're talking about, um, oh, let's talk about dairy strength. So we get an animal that's really, really coarse and round-boned and short-necked and, and just, just round all over. That's an animal that's going to score at one extreme, down around maybe a five. And then we get on the other side of the, of the, of the spectrum, that doe that's so dairy and so sharp and so angular, and she, she's so refined that she's actually getting frail. That gets us to the other extreme. 
So we've got that fat, round kind of a goat, and then we've got the really sharp, angular, open kind of an animal that may in fact lack strength, which is a separate trait, so I shouldn't even say that in there, but that that is so refined that she's probably not going to last very long because she just is too refined. So we've got the two opposites, and we look at every animal and we score that one trait from 1 to 50 or 0 to 50, and... That is the true linear part of of the linear appraisal program. What I'm hearing you say, and I think this is really important because I think people get messed up with this. You don't want an animal that would score a 48, let's say, on dairy strength. Right. Exactly. You're looking for an animal who's more in that moderate area for that trait because you don't want them overly refined, just like you don't want them overly coarse. You want them in that moderate area through there. Well, let me, so higher is not always better. Right. I was going to say, let me, let me back up and say, when I said, right, that you don't want 48s, that isn't always true. It depends on the trait. And one of the things about the linear part of this, of this evaluation as appraisers, we, we tell the herd owners all the time, we don't say what's good or what's bad. We don't say you should be breeding goats that are a, a 35, or you should be breeding goats that are a 45. Every herd owner and every herd has their own goals. And that's true with anything. And linear is just one more tool to help you evaluate, you know, what it is you're looking for, what whether you're reaching the goals that you have for your herd. So some people may be breeding for a certain type of goat, Let's just throw this out as an example. Maybe some people still want to have more of a dual purpose type Nubian. There, there, may be, there may not be a lot of them out there, but there certainly are still some. Some, some homesteading kinds of people and some families that are, that are using their dairy goats, not just for milk, but also for meat to feed their families, might want to breed a Nubian goat or for any any breed really, but new, I say Nubians because they were, of course, more of a dual purpose breed. They may want to breed more towards an animal that isn't so high in her dairy scores, and maybe is a little bit more meaty and a little bit uh, have a little bit more flesh and muscle than what we'd have in in in, an, in another herd where people were not breeding for that same thing. So we don't say as appraisers or even as the appraisal committee or the appraisal program, what numbers are good or bad. We just look at them and we put the number on them where they are. Okay. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense there. So there's these linear categories that we have. What about the other categories where they get a letter? Right. So once we get through the, once we get through the, um, the linear uh, part of the part of the program. Then we go into the the structural traits or categories. I believe there's eight of those that we go through, um, and in those, instead of scoring them from zero to fifty, we score those as we would rank uh, a category in um, the scorecard of judging dairy goats: uh, excellent, very good, good plus, acceptable, fair, or poor and the points that correspond with that. And if you look back at your scorecard, if they're 90% or more of what you expect an animal to be in that particular trait, you would call her excellent there or him excellent if we're scoring a buck. If they're 
we believe from 85 to 89% of what we think they should be. Then we hit them. Then we put a V for very good. 80 to 84 then is good plus. 70 to 79 is acceptable. 60 to 69 is fair. And 59 and below would be poor. So if an animal is, we think, 59% or less of what we would expect an animal of her age and her breed or his age and his breed to be, that animal would get a P in that category or a poor. Now, that part of the linear, that part of the evaluation does not go into the sire summaries. The sire summaries only uses the linear traits and the final score in determining sire summaries. Those are the only two parts that go into the actual sire summaries. So those are those structural categories are more just for the breeder's information. And once we go through those structural categories, then we go to the four categories of the Dairy Goat scorecard. And as you all know, we, we just as when we judge, we use a unified scorecard. And the four categories on the scorecard, general appearance, dairy strength, body capacity, and mammary system. And in each of those four categories, we then score goats, excellent, very good, good plus, uh, acceptable, fair, and poor. And then when we get all that done, there's a formula that we use to come up with the final score at the end. So that is kind of an overview of what the whole the whole process is. So that final score isn't just a, looking at this goat and I think this and there we go. It's it really is a mathematical um compilation of what you've already been doing. Absolutely. There is a formula that we use to to come up with the final score when we're done. Yes. That's a lot of work, Bob. It is. So is all that mental math, Bob? Um most of it is, but the um oftentimes if if I've ever I've not scored your goats, but um, folks that have had me score at their houses know that sometimes I sit back and I do a little bit of chicken scratch on the edge of my sheet or on my clipboard, and I do the the calculation for the final score. Um, I need to I need to sometimes sit down and actually do the math to to figure out that number. It doesn't always it doesn't always come to you or come out really easily. Gotcha. So is that? I, I guess we could probably if. I don't know if this is open source or not. Are all of these like mathematical equations and formulas in the linear SOP standard operating handbook, correct? Yes, I believe that's all in the SOP. And uh, actually, if you were to attend the workshop next week in in uh, Tucson, um, you would learn the process that's involved in, in the actual formulas to go ahead and do that. And um, I will just at this point, uh, I will say that I didn't become an appraiser until after I had been a judge for 25 years. And I learned more in the two-day linear workshop at that point than I had learned in 25 years of judges' trainings and judges' workshops. Wow. That sounds like an intense training. I would highly recommend the, the linear workshop for folks, judges, not judges, just breeders that want to learn about goats and learn about the, the whole process of evaluating them and form and function and all the pieces and parts, go to the linear workshop and, and take that. You'll be amazed how much you'll learn in those. It's now down to one day. When I took the linear workshop, it was a two-day program. And actually, interestingly enough, when I became an appraiser, 
was in Tucson. When I went to my first linear workshop was in Tucson the last time the convention. That's really fun there. Uh, Shifting gears a little bit here. Let's talk about scoring does. That's the bulk of what you do as an appraiser. Um, Talk about the process, both from looking at them from like a first freshening perspective, from a mature, and then all the way up to a mature doe as well. Well, one of the important things about um, about the whole appraisal system and what makes it what makes it truly linear and and uh, makes those sire summaries more correct or more accurate, we don't want to know how old an animal is, how many freshenings they've had, or any information about that animal when we start the appraisal. When someone brings a goat out to us. We look at the tattoos to make sure that they jive with what's on her on the paperwork or what's on her registration paper. And we go ahead and we start putting those numbers from zero to 50. And again, we just look at the goat and we put on the number as we see them on that day. We do not take into account anything about age or lactations or anything. We actually don't ask for ages or number of lactations until we get all the way over to the end of the appraisal worksheet when we're putting on our scores on the four categories of the scorecard. So we try to do that blindly or not knowing how old those goats are. And we just score them as we see them. So you're not taking off because they're younger or giving credit to them because they're 10 or 11 years old. You you truly are just looking at them as they are presented on that day. So I guess on that standpoint, you could expect a yearling, for example, to have a lower body capacity score because she's not going to have the body capacity that an older doe does, correct? Absolutely. That's the example I was going to use. When when we're scoring when we're scoring does and we're looking at again, we're just looking at the goat. We don't know how old it is. We're just looking at the animal and we look at that body and so many of us know when you're, when you're looking especially at yearlings, at first freshening two-year-olds have had that extra year to mature a little bit more. But especially when you're looking at young does, their bodies are often very what I call tuby. They're the same depth in their chest as they are in their rear rib. You know, they're like a hot dog. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to know what age they are. When we look at those goats and we see them, you know, you score them as they are. And... A lot of time when you look at those those does that have got that tubey body shape, you know, you, you've got to kind of see where that fits. And, and w- when you start looking at your body capacity score, you know, it's, you know, is she acceptable? Is she plus? Um, is she very good? We don't want them to be overly mature either. So, yeah, it, we take into account those things when we get to that part of the scorecard, when we look at age. So, so do you punish, I mean, maybe not punish, but do you penalize uh, animals that are over mature? I wouldn't say we penalize, but we take it into account um, when we get over to the, uh, to the four categories and to the final score, we look at those, we look at those numbers. And when we, when we're calculating those final numbers, we, we often, we as appraisers often say, amongst each other when we're working at refreshers and so on. And it's actually in some of the, some of the literature that we use, we want yearlings that look like yearlings. 
And we want two and three-year-olds that look like two and three-year-olds. We don't want yearlings that look like they're a five-year-old. And there's a, you know, there's a whole number of reasons. Because, you know, when you think about a doe as she gets to be five, we start to allow for a little more things, maybe a little deeper udder floor, maybe a little more straighter straightness in the rear leg, or maybe a little bit softer in a pastern. We don't want yearlings that look like that. Because what are they going to look like when they're five? I'll tell you, we don't get to see them when they're five because they won't be around that long. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm like, yep, that's true there. Well, it is. It's exactly true. We don't. We won't get to see them again because they won't be there. So when you start looking at those does for that for that final score, when you're when the linear part's done and you start to look at the different categories. Um, is that at the point that you say, okay, how many freshenings do, has she had and how long has she been in milk? And um, you start taking other things into consideration then. Yes. When we get back to, when we get to the final four categories at the end of the appraisal, that's when I will say to the, to the herd owner, okay, how old is she? How many freshenings has she had? Uh, and when was she fresh or how long has she been milking? And then you take all that into account as you do those as you do those final four categories, and obviously there's there's differences and seasonal differences. I mean, we haven't talked about them much, but we'll look at bucks. If if we're scoring bucks in June versus scoring bucks in September or early October, there's a huge difference in body capacity in bucks between those two times of the year, as you both know. So. You know, we have to take into account the season of the year uh, on bucks, on does. We, we, we look at how long they've been in milk and how many lactations. All of that plays in, comes into play when we do the final, the final categories in the final. So it really doesn't matter, I, or I'm guessing it doesn't. If you have your herd scored in early May versus having your herd scored in October, because the appraisers know enough about dairy goats. They know enough about stages of lactation that you guys do take that into consideration then. So people shouldn't be afraid to get appraised in October when maybe their does have been in milk since February, correct? Correct. And listen, we know everybody wants to have their goats scored May, May or June. Almost everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody would like to have their goats scored in May or June. Uh, most people don't want them earlier than that because they're either too fresh or their herds are not fresh and uh, haven't freshened yet in March and April unless they live in uh, some of the real southern states. You know, uh, F- Florida, for example, tends to be one of those states that's the first one we hit every year because we can go to Florida in March and there's a lot of goats fresh because the Florida State Fair happens to be the middle of February. And uh, we can score dry does, um, and when we score, when we do score dry does, it we look at the mammary system, and we have to determine whether or not there's enough tissue there or enough of an udder that we can look at and and think we can give a fair um, evaluation of what that doe of what that doe's mammary would look like. I'll, I would say the majority. I wouldn't say I know the majority of dry does we often we often mark as not in condition and we don't score, but we can. Okay, good to know. And how fresh is too fresh, Bob? It's it's a case by case. It it really is a case by case uh, basis. 
you all know your own animals. Some people's does can freshen today and look absolutely beautiful tomorrow. Uh, other does, uh, you know, may, may take three weeks, may take six weeks, may take, you know, two months before they, before they really look their best. And again, we have to take all that and try to take all that into account when we look at them and we, we look at how long they've been fresh when we're doing the, the final part of our evaluation. But, um, you know, everybody knows, everybody knows their own animals and, and when they look their best. And, you know, that's why, unfortunately, um, we can't score everybody at the time they would like to be scored. It just isn't possible. And um, technically and, and truthfully, appraisals should rotate around. So you shouldn't be scored in the same month each year. One, one year you should maybe be in April or May and the next year maybe July or August. And maybe the next year, September or October, so that over the years, we see those goats in all different seasons and different stages of their lactations. And unfortunately, we're not able to do that. But to get a real true picture, that would be the, that would be the ideal scenario. I would say that if Adga were to try to do that and score people um, nine months out of the year, we'd have a lot of cancellations in that late September, early October period. That's true. That's probably correct. Yes. So let's talk about permanent scores. What does that mean? And, and um, talk a little bit about achieving that permanent score. Uh, a permanent score is a doe that's over five years of age. Um, once they're scored at that point, or they're five years of age or over, um, they are given a score and that, that is considered to be a permanent score. And by that, it means she can still be scored every year, every other year, whatever you'd like for the rest of her life, and she could, if, even if she lived to be 20. But her final score could never, will never drop below what that, that permanent, quote-unquote, permanent score is. Her score can go up, but it cannot go down from that permanent score. Uh, meaning that, that that highest score that she has is probably when she is peaked as an animal. And it wouldn't be fair to say that another score would be more descriptive because, you know, you want, you want that permanent score to be the true picture of what that animal is. Correct. Yes. And when we're evaluating, one of the things that we look at and, you know, we, we measure, we only measure two traits in goats, but one of them is stature. And when we're measuring animals, um, we don't consider, we don't consider an animal to be under height until they're at least four years of age, because we don't consider dairy goats to be mature until the age of four. So if they're scored every year and they're scored uh, as yearlings or two-year-olds the first time, and then they're scored again as three-year-olds and again as four-year-olds, and then they're scored as a five-year-old, for a lot of those animals, it's their third or fourth appraisal. And by that point, she's reached full maturity she hopefully is at her full production and you're kind of seeing the best, the best of what she's going to be. And that's, that's when they get that. That's when they can achieve that, that score. And again, if they're scored after that, it won't go down. It, it can go up, but it won't go down. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense there. Um, my next question is on appraising bucks. Um, everyone's favorite animal to appraise. 
Um, so why, what's the appeal to appraising bucks from an appraiser's perspective? Well, my question, my, my answer to your question initially was going to be why, um, we as appraisers, <laughs> we as appraisers ask this question all the time. Why do you want us to score those bucks? Uh, buck scores do not go into the database. They, uh, in terms of sire summaries, they, they in no way, um, that at least as we have been told in the past at trainings and refreshers, there is no correlation between buck scores and their, and their, and their offspring scores. Um, so basically the reason bucks are scored is because people want to know what their buck, what their buck looks like, and they want to get that score that they can advertise him with. That's basically, I, I believe why most people have their bucks scored. Gotcha. I know that's why I appraise my bucks um, that, and they're on the sheet, but most of the time they don't make it to the actual appraisal. Sure. <laughs> Especially if they get in rut. Um, what about, do you find anything, or let's just go ahead and talk about young stock evaluation. Young stock evaluation hasn't been around for a couple of years, but um, back in the day, I guess back in the day, what was young stock evaluation and what was the overall goal of it? Young stock evaluation was we, we use the same we use the same categories that we do on uh, mature animals, except obviously we don't have the mammary system uh, category to use, and the mammary traits don't get scored. We do still we do still look at a scutch in height and a scutch in arch. Those are the two um, mammary uh, traits, if you will, that we look at in young stock. Um, it was young, uh, young stock appraisal is really a, a, just a herd management tool for our membership. We know that a lot of members, a lot of members um, use it as a tool in herd numbers and in making culling decisions. We really shudder at that as appraisers because we're seeing that dough for three or four or five or maybe 10 minutes of her entire life. And you're, and you're making a decision to color or not call her or not based on that four or 10 minutes. Now we all know how goats can behave from one minute to the next or from one day to the next. And it really, it really scares us sometimes as appraisers that people use that as a culling tool. And we know people do it. They tell us they do. We right now, because of the fact that we don't have an, we don't have a lot of appraisers. We're not able to do with, to get to all the mature goats that we'd like to get scored. the The young stock uh, program has has been suspended for several years. Um, I do know that last year at the annual meeting, the president did appoint a task force which I would think will be coming back to the board on Tuesday or Wednesday with um, some ideas or a proposal for a, new, for a young stock program. I don't know that for sure, but, um, but I do know the president made appointed three task forces last year at the annual meeting. One had to do with linear appraisal. One had to do with electronic voting. And one had to do with young stock appraisals. And I believe that there should be reports from those three committees coming up on Tuesday or Wednesday. Do you anticipate the young stock appraisal ever coming back? Not 
as part of your normal herd appraisal program. Now, that's just my opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of the committee. I'm not speaking on behalf of the other appraisers uh, or ADGA. I'm just saying my own personal opinion. I do not believe so, at least not in the in the near future by any means. I think there are some other possibilities out there. Um, one, one of the options I know that we have talked about a little bit uh, is that the appraisers who are already trained to evaluate young stock could go out and we could score young stock on weekends. I could go out and score young stock in December, January, February, if they would set it up and, and make it work. There are appraisers out there that are around the country that could probably go score young stock off season when we're not working. But somebody has to come up with that proposal and get it to the board of directors. Um, I don't know. There's possibilities out there. Huh. Interesting idea. Like the concept in theory. Would love to see it put into actuality there. Um, I guess um, do thinking about breed differences there in, in linear appraisal and maybe even applying it to the Nigerian dwarf breed as well there, considering they have a height standard. Um, do you see any core, like you see any specific trends in some breeds or uh, maybe even talk about just Nigerian dwarf over heightism as well. Um, first of all, as with judging, we're we're basing animals on on looking at a unified scorecard. So we're still breeding for the same type. We're still breeding or evaluating for the same type of animal, whether it's a Nigerian or a Toggenberg or a Sonnen. Uh, so so the short answer is no. There's not. We're not looking for different things. Um, Specifically in terms of differences in breeds, uh, we tend to not we don't we don't put together those kinds of uh, numbers or we don't see that data that comes back. That is something that maybe the performance programs manager could look at, and I think probably the the PPM in the past has done that, but that's not information that we would get or that we has been shared with us. Uh, as a group of appraisers, um, in terms of trends within within breeds um, or or between breeds, I don't know that we really see a lot of what I would call trends from one breed to the other. You know, every breed has got it. There's stellar animals in every breed, and there's some stinkers, for lack of a better term, in every breed, and. Um, I don't know that we see any more or any less. You know, there are breeds that are that haven't maybe been haven't been maybe around as long as some others, or that don't have quite the uh, available genetics or gene pool that some of the other breeds have. And you know, obviously, therefore, it's a little tougher for them to make some of the improvements that the other breeds have. But um, in terms of saying that. You know, in one breed, we see this more than any others. We don't see that, and we don't get that data. Gotcha. So I have a question for you along that line, and I don't mean this to sound in a negative way at all, but I am just going to share some things I've heard people say. Sure. Um, people will point out a picture of a doe and say, oh, my goodness, this doe appraised 92 
well, if that was a such and such breed, she wouldn't even be an 85. Is that, is that just sour grapes or is there some allowances to be made for some breeds that maybe aren't quite as far advanced and saying, you know, this is an excellent goat of this breed, even though she would not be an excellent goat in another breed. Uh, the short answer is that making the, sense? What I'm asking. Yeah, the short answer to that is no. It shouldn't make a difference. Um, I guess what you have to what you have to consider is just like with judging, every person that's evaluating these goats, every appraiser sees them a little bit differently than the other one or than the next one. Now, I will tell you, ha- having been to refreshers eight or nine times, whatever it is that I've been to now. When we get together and we work as appraisers and we score goats for two or three days every year to get ourselves ready to go out in the field, it is amazing, even to me as an appraiser, how consistent and how close we are as a group. And I think if you were, if the, if those breed biases or those, those allowances, if you want to call them that for some breeds over others were present, that we wouldn't be as consistent as we are. So I think whether or not it's, you want to call it sour grapes or who knows, we all know. And I will tell you as someone who takes pictures semi-professionally, sometimes we can all take a horrible picture of a beautiful goat. And there are a lot of us that can take a really good picture and not a lot of us, but there certainly are plenty of us who can take a good picture of a not so good goat. And as judges, and, and Laura, I know, you, I know you were a judge for a number of years, and Cameron, of course, as a judge, we all know what a handler can do. Yes, we do. So yep. whether, who's holding the goat in the picture? One of the problems that, well, I will tell you how I became a photographer at Louisville. Many years ago, there were, they had posted, I, I used to, I, I'd shown sheep at Louisville for a number of years. And because, you know, I'm by myself, um, I don't have family. So when I'm showing sheep, I'm there by myself. I can never get good pictures. So I would take them to the professional photographer over to their photo stand. And every year I would have all my sheep photographed. And I would use all those photos in all my advertising for the next year or, or more than the next year even. And I always looked forward to that opportunity. So one year... Following the North American, I went to look at the goats that won and I looked at the pictures and I was just like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. They, they took the pictures from the front and they took it kind of from the end of their nose. So all you could see was nose and shoulder. And even for the goat with the best udder, you saw her nose and her shoulder. You could not see any part of the udder at all. Zero, nothing. Oh, yeah. So I wrote a letter to the superintendent of dairy goats at the North American, who happened to be Bill Turnquist at the time. And I <laughs> I said to him, I said, Bill, you know, I consider the North American to be one of the premier, if not the premier livestock show in the country. And I said, I went online and looked at those pictures and I was just appalled at the dairy goat pictures that are on there. And about Two weeks later, I got a call from the, um, I forgot what his title was, but the guy in charge of 
uh, f- photography and promotions, whatever, for the North American saying, I understand you're not happy with our goat photography. And I, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't mean anything. And he's like, well, he said, if you think you can do better, why don't you come down and take the pictures? So that's how I became the photographer down there. But again, my point is people with a camera can take a horrible picture of a really good goat. You've probably all seen it. And so yes. looking at a picture of a goat that somebody says scored 92 and people look at it and say, oh, my gosh, how could that goat be 92? You don't know the whole you don't know the whole story. You don't know the whole picture. One of the things that we we really talk about and do constantly as appraisers is we score those goats on the move. When we're there scoring, we want those goats moving around. We want to see them walk away from us towards us. We want to see them in a profile. We want to see them stop. We want to be able to do that. And one of the rules about appraisal is one hand on the collar and you can't set them up and you can't tickle them down. And that's, we get. So that makes it really challenging for the handlers. <laughs> you aren't kidding. You can't imagine how many times I have to tell people sometimes, get your hand off that goat. You can't do that. You know, and, and there are some people who just can't help themselves. It's almost easier to have someone who's never been to a goat show handle the goats there. You're right. You're right. <laughs> We're going to go ahead, Bob, and kind of skip along here. Um, and I want to talk kind of about the current state of L.A. I know you want to kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit there. Maybe talk about some of the things that happened from like an appraiser perspective um, there. So um, let's go ahead and just kind of, I guess, jump on in to talk about 2020 L.A., well, um, yeah, starting with 2020, we we as appraisers all got together in California, went to the refresher session and planned to go out into the field. Uh, we left refresher and one appraiser went out and did get to score in the state of Florida before the pandemic really hit. And actually, while they were scoring in Florida is when things started to shut down. And at that point, appraisal was suspended for the rest of the year for 2020. So no other goats were scored last year. So going into 2021, 2021, well, 2020 and 2021, of course, we all know were challenging because of because of the pandemic. And even though there is a vaccine and things are getting better, this year was still kind of up in the air. So there was no, uh, we're also um, dealing with the retirement of the PPM and the hiring and coming in of a new PPM. And through all that, there was still, there was, we we still weren't sure how the appraisal program was going to work or how it was going to happen. So when the new PPM was finally able to come in and get to work and was, was able to speak with us as a group, which was quite a bit later than we obviously we would normally have started. Um, we were not, uh, many of us had already committed to other things last year without warning. We were all terminated as employees and wow, no, no warning, no, you know, come back next year. No, nothing. We were just all terminated as employees So this year, once there was a new PPM, 
we all had to go through the hiring process. We had to go, we had to fill out applications. We had to apply, we had to supply references. We had to fill out W9s and new, we had to get new credit cards because they canceled all the credit cards from last year. And we had to sign new credit card policies and all the paperwork that goes with being a new hire. And that process took weeks and weeks. And then once we got through all the paperwork, then we finally had to have a Zoom meeting with one of the people in the office just so we could prove we were said we, we were who we said we were, which made no sense to us at all since we'd all worked for them previously. But anyway, we finally all were hired. I believe by then it was late April when, when we finally or, or mid-April when we finally all got rehired. So then we did a Zoom refresher. And even that took a little while to get to get um, set up and for it to happen. And once that was done, we could finally go out and start appraising. We couldn't do anything before that because the the um, guidebook says that no appraiser can go into the field without having attended the refresher the current of that current year. So no one, even though we had all been to refresher in 2020 and didn't go out and score, nobody could score in 2021 until we had a refresher. So they were able to do a Zoom meeting refresher and finally get things ready. Well, by then, many of us, many of the appraisers are judges. Actually, actually, almost all of us are judges. And after last year, where we we lost out on the income for being an appraiser, and many of us didn't take as many shows in previous years because we were using some of those weekends out appraising. This year, as shows were asking us to judge, we all accepted more shows than usual. So then when, when appraisal finally came around, many of us couldn't commit the number of days that we had been able to in the past. So that was one more wrinkle to the whole thing. And in trying to schedule things, I know there was a, there's was there been a lot said about who got scored and who didn't get scored and whether or not you knew someone. What it basically boiled down to was we all tried to work with the PPM as much as possible. And if we were going to an area of the country to judge a show and we could, we could make some score, some herds along the way or in that area, the PPM was trying to set up and allow us to do as many herds as we could, as we could. Um, considering the year that we had and how late we got started the fact that we got somewhere close to 7,000 animals scored this year really is pretty amazing. I know there are a lot of unhappy people that didn't get scored, and we wish we could have gotten to everyone, but it just, it just physically was not possible. And we all tried to do as best we could and get out to as many places as we could to try to score goats as we, as we had chances. Many of us took weekend trips when we didn't have a show planned for that weekend. We would jump in the car on a Friday or a Thursday afternoon and go and score goats for two or three days and then go back home. So we weren't flying across the country maybe and doing a, 
a 10 or 12 or, or 15 day trip that we might have done in the past. We were, I think we were, many of us were scoring closer to home and doing shorter trips that we could squeeze in between other life activities and everyday things and shows and all the other things that we were doing. And as I say, part of that was because we all kind of got left out in 2020. So we were, we were all trying to scramble to, to try to make up a little bit for what we lost in 2020. I think 7,000 goats, that's, that's nothing to sneeze about. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm one of them that, you know, I was disappointed I didn't get appraised, but I also realized too, you know, I, I'm, I have a small herd. It would not be a, um, a really smart decision to come to this part of Missouri to score because there's just not a lot of density as far as goat herds that you could get. So I totally get it. I mean, I, you know, I think all of us have to back up and remember we are still in a pandemic and that does affect things for a long time. Exactly. Now, and there were some, there were some appraisers who, who chose not to fly this year because of the pandemic or not to travel to certain parts of the country because of the pandemic. We also, uh, early on in the year, uh, the chairman of the linear appraisal committee resigned. And we also had a longtime appraiser that resigned before the year started, before the appraisals actually started. And another longtime appraiser who had back surgery this year and was unable to score. So we were down, we were down a couple of more appraisers from what we had had in, in 18 or even in 19. And, um, you know, we're, we're down even less right now. So we're hoping that through the workshop next week in, in, um, Tucson to maybe identify some potential candidates or trainees to, um, to come to refresher next year to start the process of training to become an appraiser. So Bob, we're running long on this, but I, I'm just, I just feel like that you have shared so much that is just very enlightening about the whole program, but can we spend just a little bit more time together and touch on just what does it take to become an appraiser? Because I think, I, I think everybody who has any interest in having their herd appraised realizes that a, a good answer for why don't we have more herds that get appraised is we just don't have enough appraisers. So can you kind of talk about what it becomes, what it takes to become an appraiser and, and what the training looks like? Sure. Um, when I became an appraiser and what it, what it was until just a couple years ago was you had to have minimum of six years as a licensed ADGA judge in order to even apply to become a, a possible candidate at the linear workshop. Um, due to the fact that we were short on appraisers and it, you know, we were, we were really looking for some more help. Uh, several years ago, the board agreed to change that six year requirement as a judge to, I believe it's six years or more of relevant experience with livestock that could be substituted for the six years of judging. And that hopefully opened up the pool. And in fact, it did because we have, we have some appraisers uh, who, have, who are not judges. So that at least gave them that opportunity. So if you, if you meet those requirements, have at least six years of, 
um, six or more years of livestock experience or at least six years as a judge, then what you can do is come to the linear workshop at convention and you attend that workshop as a candidate. And there's, I think there's three options for the workshop. There's a spectator, uh, an auditor, and a candidate. And you can choose which of those three you want to be. And the price is different depending on what level, what level of participation you want to take. But once those, once people come as a candidate, then you will work with the appraisers that are at the session in the afternoon to score a number of goats and work with each of the appraisers to give us a picture of what your knowledge is and whether or not we think you, you're someone that we feel could go in and be trainable to become an appraiser. And um, then we discuss that as a group and as a committee. And then those people that hopefully qualify would be invited to come to our refresher, which is uh, in mid-February in Central California. I don't know the name of the town at the moment. This is a spot we've not been to before. Um, but we will be there. There would be a training day for new people on Friday. And then the refresher for all the appraisers would happen on Saturday and Sunday. And then following that, following that refresher weekend, the committee members that will th are there will get together and they'll all discuss any trainees that are there and whether or not those trainees are ready to go into the field for field training. If they are, then each of those that qualify for field training would go out into the field with at least three other appraisers for a minimum of 10 days total, not 10 with each, but 10 total, and work with at least three appraisers out in the field training. And after 10 days of field appraisal and then evaluations from each of the appraisers you work for goes back to the PPM and to the committee, and they then they make a decision as to whether or not they feel you're, you're ready to go out in the field or where you would be in terms of whether you need to go back to more field training or maybe that's just not going to work out. And that's kind of the process that has to happen. It's pretty, it's so two pretty things extensive. That my it's a pretty extensive process. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. Two things that are coming to my mind as I hear you discuss this, Bob. First of all, that's a lot of a time commitment. Yes, it is. A lot. And secondly, oh my gosh, linear appraisal is really cheap for <laughs> all of that. I mean, the, the expense to the herd owner for linear appraisal seems to be so minimal com compared to all of this time in the training that goes into um, getting an appraiser out there to see your animals. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I believe prior to this year when the rates were changed, uh, linear has always been, uh, uh, had has I, I think historically been a program where Adga has lost money, but it's but it's partly because it's a service to the members that you know that they've allowed it to to be that way. But just this year, they did adjust the rates to try to close that gap a little bit to at least get it to closer to being a break even kind of a kind of a um, service. It is a lot of training. But it's really, really important that the appraisers 
be consistent and all be able to evaluate animals the same way. And it does, it does take all that training to be able to do that. Well, I've got a lot more questions, but I'm going to shut my mouth because uh, we are running time. Okay. Um, but I think we'll have an appraisal session round two um, at some point down the pipeline. If uh, Bobby would come back at some point. Sure. Awesome. So we'll we'll pause this conversation for now. Um, we'll let Bob get through his busy month of November, and then we'll work to bring him back on because I got a lot more questions, um, and some of them good, some of them a little crazy. Uh, but Bob, thanks for joining us this week. No problem. Glad to glad to be here. This has been very enlightening, and um, I I know that our listeners will really appreciate. Uh, this really in-depth glimpse into the linear appraisal program. So we'll look forward to a part two down the road. Sure. Thanks a bunch. All right. Um, Bob, uh, where could we, do you have any Facebook pages or anything you want to plug here um, for your llamas or your corgis or anything uh, for the people to know about? Can we find any more information on those if you're selling? Uh, not really. I mean, I have my Facebook page is just under my name, Bob Bartholomew. I do have a website, which is, uh, bbar, bbar stock farm at weebly.com. Um, and it has a little bit of everything on there along with the corgis and stuff. I've also, uh, bred and shown exhibition poultry since I was a kid. So, uh, that's also on the website, but, uh, there are some other crazy goat people out there who also, who also show uh, chickens and ducks and geese and those kinds of things. So some of those people, some people might enjoy looking at some of that. Uh, Yes, I I agreed on there. Um, As always listeners, thanks for joining us this week. Um, You know where to find us as always and uh, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you at convention. Hopefully if you get to come on and uh, thank you for being part of our goat gab, have a great week. Mm